Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together we'll be talking about the season of Easter and sharing our ideas on how to observe it during the weeks between now and Pentecost. We'll also ask what John Calvin meant when he referred to the world as the theater of God's glory. And we'll ask why Jesus claims ownership over every square inch of creation. Sometimes the commentary sticks close to things happening in the week-to-week worship life of grace, and sometimes we wander far afield. Occasionally, we manage to do both at the same time, and this is probably going to be one of those episodes. Easter is over, or is it? On the Christian calendar, we're still marking the season of Easter. The question Cameron and I want to talk about is, what should the focus of this season be? In other words, now that Easter Sunday is in the rearview mirror, how do we keep celebrating the resurrection of Christ? Well, Pastor Mark, we are on the other side of Easter, on the other side of Lent now, and I realized in the order of worship recently that it's called the season of Easter. And that struck me because growing up, usually Easter was just a day for me. It was Easter Sunday. And it was a glorious day, a great day, of course. But I'm curious if we could talk a little bit about what it means to think about Easter at a larger scale, specifically in terms of a season. And what might it mean to live in light of that? Not just celebrating the single day of Easter, though that was great, but also living out those implications for the next five or six weeks in all the way up to Pentecost is when the season ends, right? Right. This is actually one of the things that I loved about discovering the Christian calendar because I had never thought of Easter in these terms. I was vaguely aware with Christmas that, you know, there's a song about the 12 days of Christmas. And so I had in my mind that Christmas might be more than just one day. But Easter, I never really thought of in that sense until I came to see that there's a several-week period following Easter Sunday, a resurrection day, where we're still counting the Sundays after Easter. And you're right, it goes from Easter Sunday to Pentecost, which this year is, I believe, the 23rd of May. And so uh, for that period, we're now in this season of Easter. And interestingly, we don't talk much about the emphasis of that season. Like we talked a lot about Lent. There's a lot about what to do during Lent. We talk a lot about Advent and what to do during Advent, but we don't really talk much about what to do during the season of Easter. So I'm glad you brought it up. Is there anything that you know of historically that the church has done during this time that's unique from the other you know, seasons of the calendar? Easter day, There are a number of things. Uh, One of them you saw in our Easter service where we have all of these alleluias taking place in the service. And traditionally during the lead up to Easter, you you wouldn't say 
alleluia. You know, you would kind of hold back your alleluia so it all hits on Easter Sunday. But thinking of the season of Easter, maybe the, the best thing to do is to start with the rubric in the order of worship that talks about how we celebrate or commemorate Easter and kind of what we're focused on. Do you want to take a look at that? Got it right here. The season of Easter, which began last week, continues until Pentecost six weeks from now. During this time, we celebrate the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let our worship be joyous as we contemplate the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of the relationship between ourselves and the God who made us. So what stands out to me is the word joyous, I think first off, and the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. Maybe a helpful way to think about it is to contrast it like you mentioned with Lent, where Lent, as we talked about, was really a period of fasting, withholding, giving up, repentance, and It was a season of exile and anticipation, waiting. And now, on the other side, we maybe celebrate the inverse of those things. So now we are to the fasting. We are to the the celebration, less focus on sin and repentance and more on celebrating the grace that is ours, like this says, in Christ Jesus. And not just doing that for one Sunday but for six weeks. You know, it's obviously something that we do always as Christians, but like we've talked about, it's it's interesting to, to think about the season as a, a unique time to do that as a body of believers. Right. I think that's exactly the right way to think of this because in the lead up to Easter during Lent, we're focused on fasting. The event that we're looking forward to really is the crucifixion. So in a sense, Our period of Lent, from Ash Wednesday to Good Friday, those services are like bookends on that wilderness contemplation. And the things we focus on as believers tend to be those themes of exile and suffering and sin and its effects, the struggle against sin, all of that reaching its climax at the cross. And then, you know, we celebrate Good Friday, and then you you blink, and it's suddenly it's Easter Sunday, and everything is joyous. So what happens after that? And the season of Easter is kind of the answer to that question. So if we've just spent a period of time focused on the wilderness, on fasting, and the cross, now we're going to spend a period of time focused on feasting and resurrection on new life in Christ. So. That's really the, like, if you're asking the question, like, how should I spend the season of Easter? Like, what sort of devotional life should I have and what themes should I be contemplating? I think you're contemplating the resurrection. You're contemplating, on a personal level, your own resurrection. The the Christian hope that we've talked about before of bodily resurrection, that's something that is especially good to reflect on now. But there's also another aspect to that. You know, there's a personal aspect, but there's also a, a, we might almost say like a cosmic effect as well, where 
we are thinking about life in the fullest sense, the restoration not only of, of sinners, but also of the broken world. And so I think this is a good season to really be thinking about the way in which grace restores nature and the way that grace is the answer to human sin, not just uh, how grace like answers the penalty, like soaks up the punishment for our sin, but further than that, how Christ has restored and repaired everything. And, and as he says in, in John's revelation, makes all things new. That's helpful because like you mentioned during Lent, we're looking forward to an event, but during the season of Easter, it would almost seem like we're just looking back at the resurrection where we're trying, you know, as we're getting further away from the resurrection, we're trying to keep it in view, but it's not just that. that I think that's true. But what you're also saying is that there's a forward gaze as well. There's this looking for looking ahead to new creation and to the, the eruption of life in the, like you said, the, the newness of all things. And one thing I love about this season is that that's kind of what the, the world is doing right now, at least, you know, in our part of the, the planet. Springtime is just a season of new creation and you, you see it wherever you look. So it's, I have actually always found Easter especially joyful and joyous when the, the day Easter Sunday is nice like ours was this last year. You know, two years ago, we had snow. So that was really hard for me to celebrate the, the joy and the promise of new creation, <laughs> despite my surroundings. But when your surroundings are filled with flowers and birds are singing and the trees are coming to life, you, you see the promise with your eyes, in a sense, pointing ahead. I remember Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, 2020, and we had a blizzard here that Sunday. And if I remember correctly, like it either began or intensified like during the service as, as this was a live stream only service. So it was already uh, feeling paltry, you know, compared to what our hopes were. And now suddenly it's, it's the heavens have opened up and, and while we're speaking of the empty tomb, it feels like we're being buried under this, this avalanche of snow. And so this Easter really felt like the antithesis of that you know it was it was incredibly beautiful and the sun was out uh, i think we we got up to like 80 degrees at one point and so i think that it gave exactly that sense but but it shows that way that uh, nature as god's you know book of of general revelation starts speaking to us of his glory and of his promises and we see in the cycle of, of renewal during springtime something that puts us in mind of what God is going to do in the world. You know, I think that's especially beautiful this time. So, right, the, the, the circumstances of our lives, as we look around and we see growth happening, are, in a sense, testifying to the inward reality of new life and, and spiritual growth within us, but also reminding us that this salvation and this restoration isn't just for us, and it isn't just for us as individuals, it's for creation, it's for the world 
that God has made. And so I think this is a, a really good time to channel those natural feelings of euphoric welcome for, for, for spring into a euphoric anticipation of like what the resurrection means for all of creation. So we are definitely looking back, as you said, where we looked forward during Lent, we're now looking back in a sense, but even our backwards look to the empty tomb is inevitably a forward look as well because of all that the emptiness of that tomb signifies for the future of the world. Cameron, I think it's a good idea right now to dig a little deeper into the cosmic implications of our salvation. You've talked about contemplating the resurrection and what it means for us and what it means for the world. And I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking the second point, because obviously, whenever we preach the gospel, proclaim the good news, we focus on that first point, on the idea of personal uh, resurrection, you know, personal restoration. But it's important to see the larger work that Christ is doing in all of creation. And so with that in mind, I think it's really interesting that one of the songs that we sang this past Sunday actually calls us to contemplate, not ourselves, but the world. That's the hymn, This is My Father's World. Now, you made this choice for this Sunday, so I can put you on the hot seat and just ask about what it was that prompted you to to want to sing this song at this moment. It really was some of those topics that we were just covering, because we're just coming off of Easter Sunday and there's all of that joy from Easter Sunday. And I see that joy just shooting out beyond ourselves and into the world. Like I just mentioned in spring, I'm just seeing the world kind of erupt with new life. And I've, I mean, the last week has just been beautiful here in in Sioux Falls and I've been outside a ton and I have been thinking the title of this song, this is my father's world. And I wanted to continue that celebration at Grace. So I wasn't necessarily thinking, well, we must continue or celebrate the season of Easter. But I was thinking we we need to celebrate what Easter means. And I guess that's what the point really is. So that's why I chose the song. Yeah. Why don't you give us a little flavor of some of those points from the lyrics? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just read the first verse. There are just three verses that we sang. Here's verse one. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders, wrought. Or in verse 2, he shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. So in a strange way, like you just mentioned, this song is about God, 
But it's really about God's world, hence the name of the song. And sometimes I think we judge songs, worship songs in particular, based off of how, quote-unquote, God-centered they are. I've heard that term used sometimes. So if the song isn't adequately focused on God or something like that, it's not a true worship song. And I wanted to talk about this song in part because of that possible question. The name of the song suggests that it's not necessarily about God, it's about the world. So why why on a Sunday, when we're worshiping God, do we sing a song about the world? Yeah, I think the answer is really embodied in the lyrics of that second verse, and that phrase, he shines in all that's fair. We have in our theology a doctrine of general revelation, which says that that God has revealed himself in the works of his hands, so in creation, that God is manifest in what he's made. And that, of course, comes from the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 1, but, but not just there. I mean, throughout Scripture, there's a testimony in the Psalms and elsewhere to the idea that creation sings his praise. So we have, for example, uh, Jesus's shocking words, to the Pharisees at the triumphal entry, when they rebuke his followers for singing hosannas to him, he says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And of course, we know that stones don't have vocal cords, they don't breathe, uh, they don't talk. But Jesus is pointing to this very uh, created sense of creation, that, that the inanimate objects are meant to reflect God's glory. That sense of creation as belonging to God and as glorifying him is one that you find throughout Scripture. And so, although it's true that because of our sin, we can't just look at nature and know the way of salvation, if it weren't for our blindness, if it weren't for the damaging effects of sin, we would see God in his work, and we would see him clearly. So in that sense, a song that magnifies the fact that all creation belongs to God and and worships him and testifies to him is singing his praises in the same way that, that another song might testify to the glories of Scripture. For example, his special revelation, and, and in both cases, you're not just singing about the revelation, you're singing about the God who reveals himself through it. And taking it just a little bit farther, when you, again, think of that phrase, he shines in all that's fair, you get a real sense that whatever is good, whatever is beautiful, whatever is true, is made by him and points back to him, which has huge implications for us as believers, right? Because we are accustomed to dividing the world into sectors of light and dark, uh, secular, sacred, thinking that there are, you know, some things that are like in the realm of God and other things that are outside of it. But here, it turns out that anything that is true, anything that is beautiful, anything that is good comes from him, and he shines through in it, no matter what its 
when I say secondary or proximate sources, you know, I often tell students, this is the reason why when you go to school and you have a teacher who's not a Christian who's teaching you, you shouldn't just like close your ears and say, no, I don't want to know because you don't know the true God. And so you can't teach me anything true. That's ridiculous. All human beings are made in the image of God. All of us are given these gifts in order to discern the 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 true, the good, and the beautiful in, in creation around us. Ironically, even when we deny the creator who gave us these gifts and made this world that we're interpreting, it is possible for us to know these things by God's grace and to teach them so that we find ourselves learning true, good, and beautiful things everywhere we go as a result of God's grace, his common grace, as the theologians say. Yeah. Our listeners are probably getting tired of us quoting Calvin all the time, but I have another Calvin quote that comes to mind. He talks about the created world as the theater of God's glory, which is a fantastic phrase. And I think this is exactly what he means, that when the Christian's eyes have been opened and when we've received illumination from the Holy Spirit, we see all of the world, not just as amazing, which anyone can see, but as pointing back to God the Father. And thus we cry, this is my Father's world. And I think for Calvin, that was such a big thing that we would see it as our Father's world and that all of the goodness of creation is coming to us just in abundance because of his grace and his love for his children. I will see your Calvin and I will raise you an Abraham Kuyper because if you think about Kuyper's oft quoted uh, phrase, he's actually putting the words into Jesus's mouth, but talking about uh, creation and, and the idea there's no square inch of creation over which Christ does not proclaim, this is mine. And usually when we quote that line or paraphrase it, as I just did, we're doing it in the context of sovereignty. Like we're talking about an assertion of God's right to rule over all creation. There's, there's no sort of secular sphere over which he doesn't speak with power. But it's also possible to look at those words in that quote and see in it not just an assertion of sovereignty, but also this thing we're getting at, like a, a beautiful expression of the createdness of all creation. The reason why there is no square inch that, that Christ doesn't proclaim this is mine over is because all things were made by and through him and belong to him and exist to glorify him. And so it isn't merely a power play. It's not merely a question of authority unless you think of authority as authorship, as creatorship. And when you do, you start to recognize what you were saying, this idea of the theater of God's glory, right? When a human author writes a play, for example, or a novel, whatever it is, a poem, there's a sense in which we can contemplate that work and we know the author through it and we glorify that author if, if it's a good poem or book or what have you. That's a poor analogy in comparison to the way that God, the author 
of all things is reflected in his work, but we know him through his work, and we can see him at work in his work. He shines in all that's fair. And so in that sense, we have a, a, a really robust theology of new creation. Right? When we talk about the new heavens and the new earth, we're basically saying that the, the story of the created world doesn't end the way pessimists think it will. You know, there are people who think that the world ends in destruction, that the apocalypse is a bad thing because it's the end of the world. We could also add that the world didn't begin just by accident either. You know, I think that's the flip side of what you're saying. Exactly. And so, so there's that sense that, you know, God created the world, but the world went bad. And now God must destroy the world because it went bad. And that motivates a lot of thinking, including Christian thinking. But if you read your Bible, you discover that God does not intend to destroy the world. God intends to restore the world and we will live in that new heaven and new earth. And so if that's the case, it does change the way we should feel about this creation, right? If we've been neglectful of creation, if we haven't cared for the world that God made, that's a problem. You know, if we said to ourselves, well, it doesn't matter what happens here because God's going to destroy all this and we're just going to go live as disembodied spirits in heaven, the Bible actually challenges that. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. And so our neglect of creation, our failure to discern God in his work is sinful. And this is a good time of year during the season of Easter to refocus ourselves on the world that God made, on the goodness of that world, on his continuing love for that world and his intention to make it new, to make not just us new, but, but creation new as well. So it's a lofty theological vision for the end of time, but it's one that should have really practical effects on how we see the world around us. You know, there's a good reason, as you're seeing in spring, the things you planted suddenly coming up out of the ground and growing, you should be thinking, this is what humans do. God put us in the garden to form and cultivate creation. This is part of that, and we should be focused on doing it in every area of life. I think there's one more thing we can say about this hymn, and it has to do with that line you you drew out. He shines in all that's fair. So the the obvious reality is that e even as we're looking for all that's fair in the world, not everything is fair in the world. And there is darkness. And depending on your personality, maybe even the season of Easter is a very difficult time. And this is why I think we need verse three, which actually is my favorite verse of the hymn. And I just, I want to read it. Maybe we can close with this. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. That verse always 
stands out to me because it, it brings in the darkness. The first two verses are so beautiful. It's looking at nature. Everything is nice. And then it's suddenly talking about battles and, you know, evil, looking around and suddenly seeing evil rather than things that are fair. And that's a good reminder because even in this season of Easter and indeed beyond Pentecost, we'll be reminded of the world's sin and suffering. And yet, it, I think it really drives home, nails home, the hope of the resurrection in those last few lines, that Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one, that he will complete this work of uniting heaven and earth rather than just destroying it. There's a moment in the Lord of the Rings trilogy where Sam has to give Frodo a lecture on storytelling and the way stories work. And he's doing it in the form of a kind of inspirational pep talk because Frodo, uh, as he often does, but grows despondent, right? Frodo is the guy who would be depressed during, you know, Christmas or Easter or something. He would see the downside. Uh, Sam never sees the downside of anything. And he recalls Frodo to his mission, right? By focusing him on the future but assuring him that despite all of the darkness that they've witnessed and experienced, that there are things in creation, there are good things that are worth fighting for. And I think in that moment, he's doing exactly what the hymn does in the third verse, where we've seen the testimony of creation, and we've seen the, the promise of the resurrection and the world to come, and now we're being given sort of steel, so that as we have reason to forget, you know, as we encounter uh, things that, that take that hope from us and, and, and dampen it, we remember that our hope is a future hope, that we should be encouraged that we see the glimmers that shine now, even in the darkness, that that, that should be enough to keep us going. And so that's a, a good thing to focus on during this season of Easter. It's not that the world has become like uh, snow white overnight and there's birds chirping and everything's perfect and, and all that. It's, it's that suddenly we are given a glimpse, right? We're given intimations and hints of what is to come. And those hints are given to us to sustain us and so we're going to spend some time during the season of Easter basically cherishing those little glimmers, breathing on those little sparks so that we can have some flame to keep us warm. Well, that's all the time we have for the commentary this week. Thank you, Cameron, and thanks to you, too, our listeners. We hope you'll join us next time. And in the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. It helps new listeners discover the commentary. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.